atheist, all-around bad guy. Um, in his book, The God Delusion, says this about God. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Oof, and also using lots of words that are hard for me to pronounce. Um, so he's not a fan of the God of the Old Testament. But we're going to see in our text today that this is not the view of God that Jonah had. Uh, Jonah knows that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Matter of fact, this is what we see if you actually read the Old Testament in, in any depth at all, you will see this clearly. So let's go give a little bit of background first here. So Jonah, he's the son of Imatai. That doesn't really help us because we don't know who Amatai is. So, But he's also from the town of Gath-Hepfer. This comes from 2 Kings 14. So this town is located about 25 miles west of the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee in the land of Zebulun in the northern kingdom. So Jonah's a prophet in the northern kingdom. Um, Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II from 793 to 753 B.C. Um, he, this is one of the, the longest reigns of one of the northern kings, also one of the most prosperous times for uh, the, for Israel, the, the northern kingdom. And one of Jonah's prophecies is recorded as having been fulfilled in 2 Kings 14.25. That prophecy was that Israel would restore its borders. And in fact, under Jeroboam II, the northern kingdom controlled more territory than any of its other kings. So this was its widest expanse. Jonah was also was a contemporary with the prophets Amos and Hosea. So Nineveh, that's going to be come up in our tale as we look at the book of Jonah. Uh, this is founded by Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, according to Genesis 10:11. It's located on the outskirts of Mosul, on the eastern bank of the Tigris River in modern-day northern Iraq. So this is an area that comes up in the news a lot, not so much as it was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, it became an Assyrian royal residence during the reign of Shalmaneser I, who reigned from 1273 to 1244 B.C. It was one of the three royal cities, the others being Kala and Asher. Adad Nerari III built a royal palace there just before the events of the Book of Jonah. And it became the capital city of Assyria in 705 B.C. This is after the events of Jonah. So Assyria itself had been around in various forms for over a thousand years. There was an old kingdom, there was a middle kingdom. But the Book of Jonah occurs during the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which lasted from 911 to 609 B.C. This was, at the time, the largest empire the world had ever seen. It was known for its brutality and cruelty during this period. The art in the palace illustrated what would happen to those who rebelled in graphic detail. Uh, Asher Nasser Apali II, from, who reigned from 883 to 859 BC, boasted, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. The heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over against their city. Their young men and their maidens I burned in the fire. Regarding one captured leader, he wrote, I flayed him, his skin I spread upon the wall of the city. He also wrote of mutilating the bodies of live captives and stacking their corpses in piles. This is not a, a nice people. Uh, Yehu, or Jehu was compelled uh, to pay tribute to Shalmaneser III in 841 B.C. Uh, Joash was obligated to pay tribute to Adad Narari III in 796 B.C. Uh, Jonah probably prophesied in the period of Assyrian weakness between the death of Adad-Nerari III in 782 
and the seizing of the throne by Tiglath-Pileser III in 745. So somewhere between 782 B.C. and 745 B.C. is probably when uh, Jonah prophesied. So the text, we are going to read the whole book because I thought of summarizing, but it's a short enough book, so why not just read the whole thing? All right, so Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rolled hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look... I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published 
Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he said, And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left, and also much cattle? So our text today we're focusing on is Jonah 4.2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from danger. So we might think that Jonah would disobey for several reasons, right? Jonah might be lazy and not want to travel the 550 miles to Nineveh, kind of a long way to walk. Uh, We often do not share the gospel because we are lazy and do not want to make the effort. But Jonah was not lazy, and in fact, he started on a journey of over 2,000 miles to the opposite end of the earth. Uh, Tarshish is believed to be present-day Spain, right? So another reason, we might think that Jonah is afraid of what the people in Nineveh would do to them. They were, after all, an evil and cruel people. You know, we often do not share the gospel ourselves because we're afraid of how people will react. But Jonah was not afraid. That was not his reason. Uh, we might think that Jonah might think that the people of Nineveh were beyond hope. They were, after all, an exceedingly evil and cruel people. You know, I think we often feel like those around us would never respond to the gospel anyway, so why bother trying? Certainly, I know I've had that, that attitude. And, and it's true, without the Holy Spirit, they would not respond. But we never know when the Holy Spirit will work. And so we should always be ready to offer the gospel. But, but Jonah does not see them as beyond hope. In fact, he is afraid they will repent. Right? The reason Jonah disobeys is he wants God to destroy Nineveh. He hates the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want God to show them merciful. But he knows that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And this is the reason for his disobedience. Right? He knows, although it hasn't been written yet, but as Paul writes in Romans 10, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Right? He knows if nobody preaches, there's going to be judgment. Maybe they'll just continue in their ways. But if he preaches judgment, maybe they'll repent and God will have mercy on them. So he seeks to try to go away so they don't hear the bad news that judgment is coming in hopes that they will receive God's judgment. Um, you know, Jonah knows 
that the Assyrians are going to conquer Israel. You know, remember I said that Amos and Hosea prophesied at the same time. Well, Amos 5, 25 through 27 says, Did you bring me... Bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel. You should take up Sikhoth, your king, and Kayung, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Hosea 11, 1 through 5 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. So Jonah probably knows of these prophecies. Jonah can't possibly really believe, of course, that he can thwart God's purposes, but this is what sin does to us, doesn't it? It causes us to proceed down harmful, destructive paths rather than repent, because at least then we're in control, right? This is what sin does. You know you can't really succeed, but you do it anyways, because I may be destroying my life, but at least I'm in control. Um, How does Jonah know that God is gracious and merciful, right? I mean, this is not what the other people see. This is not what um, Richard Dawkins sees in the God of the Old Testament. This is not what... Other people see, we hear this all the time, you know, God is evil. How does, how does he know? Well, God himself has said so over and over again. If these people had read the Old Testament, they would know. Exodus 30, 34, 6 through 7, this is when Moses went up on Mount Sinai the second time. Uh, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Psalm 103, 8 through 13 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We see similar language throughout the Old Testament. I could go passage after passage of the similar words. If you just look up gracious, merciful, uh, steadfast love, the Old Testament is just full of these passages where God is saying this. And God had demonstrated his mercy over and over again. We see this starting in Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve disobey. God said, the day you eat of that, you will die. He had Adam and Eve and Satan before him. He could have passed judgment and wiped out the rebellion right then and there, but he did not because of his mercy. Instead, he gave a prophecy that one day there would be a child born of Eve who would crush the head of Satan, even though he was bruised in his heel. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. We see this in the wilderness wanderings. God puts up with rebellion and unbelief time and time again. He's patient with them. We see this throughout the judges. God rescued Israel again and again after they had turned to idolatry. Yet every time they called to him, God rescued them again and again. Uh, God had been patient with the northern kingdom through roughly 150 years of idolatry and disobedience. This was not a new thing. They had been disobeying God's, ignoring the prophets for years and years and years. Depending on when Jonah's prophecy in 2 Kings 14 was, Jonah might have seen God's blessing on the northern kingdom of Israel despite the spiritual indifference of the people. 
right? Jeroboam II and the people of Northern Kingdom, they didn't prosper during his reign because they were godly people. They were indifferent to the things of God. God blessed them in spite of their indifference. God had mercy on them, and they still turned their back on God. So Jonah had many ways to see that God was merciful. He knew the character of God because he knew he knew the word of God, and he had seen all that God had done, all that God had said. He had seen that, and if you read the Old Testament, you, you would see that as well. Let us see God's mercy displayed in the book of Jonah, though. First, we see it's displayed to the pagan mariners. Right? God could have sunk the boat and still rescued Jonah with a great fish. He didn't have to save the mariners. It would have been very easy just to sink the boat, have the fish come along, pick Jonah up out of the water as he was sinking, and go on his way, but he didn't do that. Instead, he showed them a great sign. You know, when Jesus calmed the sea, his disciples were described as being filled with great fear. And they knew Jesus. How much more these pagan seamen who are described in Jonah's 116 as having feared the Lord exceedingly. Uh, they, and they, they appear to have vowed to continue to worship the Lord. We don't know what happened to them, but these people might have turned to God because of that. God showed them this great sign. They definitely offered sacrifices then and there. And they might have continued worshiping God after that because God had mercy on them. He didn't kill them. Um, he, he spared them. Even in the Old Testament, we see God's concern for the Gentiles. We see God's mercy is displayed to Jonah in his disobedience. I read at the very beginning of our service today, uh, 1 Kings 13. There we see what happened to another disobedient prophet. Just to re- recap there, God had called a prophet from Judah to go to Bethel, confront Jeroboam, the king of Israel, and declare that a king of Judah named Josiah would sacrifice on that altar the priests of the high places who sacrificed on it. The prophet was commanded not to eat bread or drink water in the northern kingdom and to return to Judah a different way. But an old prophet who lived in Bethel lied to the prophet and told him that an angel had told him that the prophet should have a meal with him. After the prophet ate, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet, and we read in 1 Kings 13, uh, starting in 21, And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of uh, the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. Right? The wages of sin is death, and God always has the right to judge disobedience or any other sin with death. We're kind of shocked when we read a passage like 1 Kings 13 because we are so used to God's mercy. We kind of expect God's mercy to be shown. So when something like that happens, we're, we're shocked. We're shocked when God strikes down Uzzah when he steadies the ark, when, it, when the, uh, it's on the ox cart and it hits something and, and it stumbles. God strikes him dead. We're, we're shocked at that. He's trying to help out. But God, God is holy, and, and he, ha- he can uh, judge any time he wants to. And the, the penalty for touching the holy thing was death. And that's what Uzzah got, was he got justice at that time. Um, But God heard the cries of Jonah as he was drowning and had mercy on him and saved him. So he showed mercy on Jonah. He didn't give him what he gave this other disobedient prophet. He didn't strike him dead. He rescued Jonah. We see God's mercy is displayed on the city of Nineveh. Uh, Since Jonah only preached judgment, we might wonder at God showing them mercy. But there is always an implied, unless you repent, to any message of judgment in the Bible. God explains this in first explains in Jeremiah 18. So Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, 
I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does, not, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good I had intended to do to it. Although Jeremiah prophesied after Jonah, this principle is seen throughout the Old Testament. Right? A prime example will be David fasting and praying for the baby born to Bathsheba after his adultery with her, even though God had said that that child would die. Uh, in 2 Samuel 12, 22, David says, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? Right? David understood the mercy of God. God had said that the child would die, but, but David still had hope. Maybe he won. If I fast and pray and repent, maybe God will spare him. He got, David understood that God was gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. We notice that Nineveh's repentance stands in contrast with Israel's rejection of the warnings of Jonah's contemporaries, Hosea and Amos. Think about that. Jonah goes to a pagan city, preaches only the bad news, God is going to destroy this place, and they repent. You have Hosea and Amos proclaiming the word of the Lord, proclaiming uh, destruction to the northern kingdom, and they refuse to repent. They, They continue in their sin. Matter of fact, Jesus commends the people of Nineveh. He says in Matthew 12, 41, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Right? The, the people in that area did not repent at the preaching of Jesus. Um, and, and the people of Nineveh did repent at the preaching of Jonah. And then finally, we'll see God's mercy to Jonah and his patience with Jonah at the end in, in chapter 4. Jonah was angry with, that God was not going to destroy Nineveh right at the end. But God was patient with Jonah in showing him how his priorities were not right. Jonah cared more for a plant that he, didn't, that he didn't for a city of more than 120,000 people, right? He, he mourned over a plant that died, but he was ready for 120,000 people to, to die. Uh, and God said, that's not right. Uh, how often do we have the wrong priorities? It's easy in our materialistic age to care more for material things than for people. Uh, we should never forget that God loves and cares for people. So we should love and care for people. It's too easy to get carried up in material things. But God, God is, we're here for people. God loves people, and the gospel is for people, and so we need to care for people. So as, as I wrap things up here, uh, how often have we experienced God's grace and mercy? Uh, often, right, if we're honest, we, we receive it often. How often do we expect God's mercy, even when we are spiritually indifferent or even actively in, involved with sin? And I think if we looked honestly, I, I would say often, probably, we expect God's mercy, even though there's sin in our life. We just kind of like, eh, it's not a big deal. We, we, God will be merciful to me anyways. But we should remember that God's mercy and grace does have their limits. Yes, he is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, but judgment does come eventually to those who do not repent. Israel was idolatrous and rebellious for close to 200 years, and then finally God brought judgment. The tribes located on the east of the Jordan, this is the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, were conquered by Tiglath-Pileser III in 740 B.C. This could have been less than 20 years after Jonah uh, went to Nineveh. We're not sure exactly when he went there, but it could have been that close. Just 20 years later, um, the, the half-tribe, the, or the, the tribes on the east side are, are getting taken over. The northern kingdom fell in 722 uh, B.C. to Assyria under the V. This could have been only, like I said, like 40 years after Jonah that Israel, the northern kingdom, falls to, to Assyria. 
Judah was saved by God from the Assyrians in 701 when Hezekiah was king, but they fell to the Babylonians in 586, eventually for the same reason, for their idolatry, for their rebellion from God. Assyria was wicked and cruel for some 300 years. Uh, Nahum prophesied roughly 100 years after Jonah that judgment was coming to Nineveh, and it did come. Nineveh fell in 612 B.C. because they might have repented, but the repentance did not last, and they turned back to their ways, and God brought judgment upon them because of their cruelty in, in their conquest of the northern kingdom. And God brought judgment to them. And God brought such severe judgment that they were essentially forgotten. Xenophobe, when he came through, or Xenophon, when he came through with his, with his Greeks, um, some 200 years after this, uh, the, the ruins of Nineveh were there, and the locals didn't even know it was uh, an Assyrian city at one point. They thought it was a, a city of the Medes and Persians. Um, that they had completely forgotten that the Assyrian Empire, who had gone for over a thousand years, who was at one point the biggest empire in the world, was essentially forgotten at that point by the, those around it. That's how hated they were. Uh, nobody looked back fondly on the Assyrian Empire. Um, so God's judgment will come. So to those who have not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life, I do have bad news. Judgment is coming. One day there will be judgment. Justice will be done. Um, and, and God will punish everyone according to what they deserve. But, or I should say, and the Bible tells us that we all have repeatedly and flagrantly broken God's law and that the penalty that we deserve for doing this is eternal death and hell. Furthermore, we, can do, we cannot do anything that pleases God and there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from God's just wrath. The Bible describes us as dead in our trespasses and sins. But there is good news. The best possible news, because God is gracious and merciful, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die so that you might have eternal life. The promise of God is that everyone who sees their need of a Savior and trusts in Christ for salvation has eternal life. This is how it works. Jesus Christ took upon himself the sins and then endured God's wrath for all those who trust in him. In return, they receive Christ's righteousness and are proclaimed to be justified by God. To those here who are Christians, my message to you is to repent. Do not take your sin lightly. Do not take God's mercy lightly. Do not trample upon God's mercy and just expect it. Look at the sin in your life. Hate sin and get rid of the sin. And don't just be comfortable with the sin, but repent of it. Jesus might have come and taken God's wrath in your place, but God still will chasten you. Uh, your sin can still destroy your life. You can't destroy your eternal life if you're in Christ, but you can't take that away. But can certainly make your life here on earth miserable. Do not abuse God's mercy and make it an occasion to sin, but love God for his mercy and love his ways. Let us pray. Dear God, we do just praise you and we just thank you for your great grace and mercy. And we certainly recognize that we don't deserve it at all. And we certainly recognize that not only have you saved us, but you have been exceedingly patient with us. How often do we continue in our sin? How often are we comfortable in our sin uh, thinking of it just as a little thing, when really it is a horrible thing in your sight, and we make light of it. And f please forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to hate sin. Help us to root it out in our lives, Lord. Help us to recognize it and not tolerate it. Help us to love your ways and to be more, have a desire to be more like Christ. I do pray that you would help us to be, to be a holy people, that we would just love your ways, that we would not take your mercy for granted, and that we would love you more and more because of it. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen.